We talked last week about the covenant God. And we, I believe, finished out speaking about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament that God took away the first that He may establish the second. With that in mind, I want to go to the book of Hebrews. This is written, I full well believe, by the Apostle Paul. Paul has such a great knowledge of Jewish tradition, which is contained in this book. Paul knew if he signed his name to it, many of his brethren which were in Judea and had been under the law service and was delivered from that by God in heaven through Christ, would have some hesitation of accepting it because Paul had been, as we know, a Pharisee and in Paul's own words, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, teaching us that as the Pharisees justified themselves by the keeping of the law and the law of Moses and all of their sacrifices and traditions and things that they were instructed of God to do in the Old Testament, and as Christ had touched him on the road to Damascus and gave him life, And all the things which he had taught under the law, he could then see through the eyes of one that God had given grace and began to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, one whom he had hated before that happened. And he knew that if his brethren, if his name was to it, with the attacks of Satan upon them, trying to lure them back to the law and lure them back to the justification of themselves by the law, back to the same doctrine that made Adam fall, the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt be as gods, knowing good and evil, that they would refuse it. We know, seeing here, Paul wrote this book, His name is not upon it, but it's evident that he did. He begins God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. If we read Scripture, we see from the beginning that God communicated with man. When Adam was made good and upright, God walked in the garden with him as the pre-incarnate Son of God, as the living Word of God. God walked with him in the garden because when they disobeyed God, when Adam in rebellion rebelled against God and he heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the garden, he was afraid. He knew he was naked. He was afraid. That teaches me that God had walked with him and communicated with him before that when he was in perfection. And we know that God spoke to Noah, giving you ideas of how God spake unto our fathers. All these men 
or our fathers in the faith. I hear some people ask, was Adam even a child of God? I think that is a silly thing to ask because God created him. God made him. God loved him. In mercy, God drove him from his presence that he would not be consumed and God clothed him with animal skins. I believe with all my heart that Adam was a child of God, which teaches me also that as God spoke to him, and I believe we can even bring that out in Scripture if we look hard enough in the early chapters of Genesis because he taught Adam taught his children to worship because Cain and Abel worshipped. And my point with that is that God communicated with him. Just as God communicated with Noah, God spoke to Noah, God told Noah to prepare an ark, the saving of his house. Noah was a preacher of righteousness that teaches me that God spoke to him. No man can speak unto you the oracles of God except by the Holy Ghost. The Apostle Paul said that. So therefore God had to speak to him. We see God speaking to Abraham. Get thee out from thy land, the land of thy people, to the land that I will show thee. God spoke to him. God spoke to him in Genesis 18. In the heat of the day, in the door of his tent, Not only telling him what he would do to Sodom and Gomorrah, but also telling him that Sarah would conceive and bring forth a child and that his seed would inherit the land that God would drive out the inhabitants of in order for him and his seed to inherit it. God spoke to them. Paul says, God, this is another proof that this had to be Paul to have the knowledge of all these things. God who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers. They are fathers in the faith. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. We see God speaking to Moses, telling Moses, telling Moses that He was going to send him and deliver the children of God from their afflictions. He'd seen their affliction. He'd heard their cry. They were His people. He loved them. He would send them a deliverer. He spoke to Moses. He gave Moses commandments and laws. He gave Moses the ability to teach His children the law. And regarding the law, the law is just and good and holy, but it's weak according to the flesh. Through Moses, because our flesh is sin, through Moses, God told His people how He loved them, how He would bless them, how He would carry them on eagles' wings, and also how He would punish them if they sinned against Him and worshipped other gods for the Lord our God is a jealous God. God spake to Moses. God spoke to all the prophets, sending them to the children of God to teach them of the punishment of God for disobedience and for the blessings of God in obedience to God 
when He's first and foremost in everything we do. He sent Isaiah to preach. Remember, at that time, Israel did not exist anymore. He went to the Jews, sent Isaiah to preach. He spoke to Isaiah. He gave him words to speak to his people. He preached the first three years of his ministry naked, testifying of the nakedness of the children of God who had no covering for their sins. And then he preached of a Messiah who was to come. This was God speaking to the prophet Isaiah. He spoke to the prophet Jeremiah, giving them reason why they were in bondage. Jeremiah preached and preached and had not even one convert, but the purpose of God was fulfilled in teaching them the judgment of God that was upon them that they might see and understand and that we might see and understand in hindsight looking back. He preached to Ezekiel of the coming kingdom of God, the glory of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ. My point is, Paul is saying, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. All these men were prophets. All these men taught of the wrath of God upon sin, the hatred of God upon sin, and how God loves His people, how God chose His people, how God would bless His people. The law was weak in the flesh. He did away with the first that He may establish the second covenant. Now He says, God who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past unto the prophets by unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days we are living in the last days since Christ came into the world we have been in the last days we had the era 2000 years of no law then we had 2,000 years under the law. And now we're in the last days. We're in the era of grace. We're in the last days of the earth. Don't know if it's going to end today, tomorrow, or 20 years from now, or whenever. We know God knows, but we don't. But we're living in the last days. This is the era of grace. This is where God's children are blessed by God to see the law through revelation of Jesus Christ and understand the law was our schoolmaster. It brought us to Christ. It taught us how we fail in our flesh and can not satisfy the righteousness of God. We had to have a Savior. We have a Savior. God hath related that to us. He's spoken unto us in these last days, the era of grace. When this era is over, it will be eternity. One day. One day. There will be no night. Christ will be the light. It will be one day. I try to teach people here and there when it hits my mind that eternity is present. We being Temporal creatures of time, 
relate eternity to past, present, and future. But we're fickle creatures. Eternity is now. There's no past. There's no future. It's now. It's one day in eternity. And when this day, the last days are over, we shall be in the eternal day with Christ. God hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son. There are no more prophets as under the law. There were prophets in the day of Christ. We see that in the book of Ephesians. He gave some prophets, some apostles, some evangelists. Today, we're left with pastors and teachers that teach the Word of God. God speaks to them. I'm not telling you God gives them a private revelation that they can change something in Scripture. We preach the same doctrine our forefathers taught 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's why Paul says, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. This is the living Word of God. This is the eternal Word of God. The second person of the Godhead. The eternal Son of God. He's always been. He is and He will always be. He's, that's given to us in Genesis chapter uh, 1, 2, and 3. That's given to us in the book of Revelation. He was, He is, and He is to come. He's the eternal Son of God. In the beginning, God created. That's Christ, the living Word of God. All the way through. God has spoken unto us by His Son. Paul is speaking unto Jews who by their very doctrine they had corrupted, hated Christ because He made Himself the Son of God. They worshiped under the law service. The Satan beguiling them, trying to bring them back to the law service. Paul is speaking to them, trying to show them the excellency of the New Testament, of the new type, if you'll have me say it that way, if you'll bear with me, the new worship, where we worship God not by the letter of the law, but in spirit, in truth. The law was given, and even those that did not have the Spirit of God came to worship under the law. Well, how can that be? Well, then you tell me how Cain, who was not a child of God, who therefore could not come to God or nor receive the Spirit of God, was coming to worship God because they were taught to do so. He's spoken to us by His Son, the living Word of God, whom He hath appointed. Catch that word. Appointed. It was set in eternity. If it's set in eternity, it's always been, it always will be. Just like the covenant we spoke about last week, and this is part of it. This appointment has always been. There was never a time that God decided to make this appointment of Christ to be the heir of all things. It was always set before the foundation of the world. Whom He hath appointed heir of all things. 
Christ, the Son of God. Remember, remember this fact. This is written to the Hebrews. This is written to the born again children of God among the Jews, the Hebrews. To teach them of the Christ whom they had been taught to hate by their leaders who delivered Him up to be crucified upon Calvary's tree. He's telling them of His Son who is the heir of all things. What does that mean? All things. Everything created. Everything is created except the Godhead. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and all things were made for Him. That's not saying God had a beginning. That's speaking of the beginning of time. And the Godhead was there in fullness. All things created. That is what Christ has there in Psalms 2. He said, ask of me and I'll give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. All things, okay? We, child of God, were outside the kingdom of God being Gentiles and we are the inheritance of Christ because He died for us, He quickened us and brings us to Himself and in eternal heaven and immortal glory we are His and we shall be there with Him and see Him as He is. He's appointed Him heir of all things. He's the heir of His people. They are His because He is the same, the Son of God. All the elect angels that God created, that God chose to keep, and I say that because there were some that rebelled against God with Satan. He's not an angel. Satan was a cherub. Catholics say that a cherub is an angel. A cherub is not an angel. A cherub is a cherub. A seraphim is a seraphim. Angels are angels. But the point being creation, when God created in His omniscience, knowing all that was going to come to pass, that God chose the elect angels. And they are His servants. They are His ministers in creation to do what it was given them to do. But He says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom... Also, He made the worlds. The worlds. The worlds. The Jews have always believed that world was the world we live in. The world of the sky. What we call the second heaven. And the world above. Which they call the third heaven. We say things different than that. A world is what they call it. We call them heavens. First, second, third. They say worlds. Paul Galatians talks about the heaven above which is free from sin and death. But the point being, by whom also He made the worlds. This is Christ. Paul is telling them, this man whom you hated, this man whom you crucified, this man by whom God made the worlds. What worlds? The world of man, the world of Adam, the world of God's elect. The worlds of God. who being the brightness of His glory and the express 
image of His person. The glory of God. Christ is the glory of God. Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses speaking to the children of Israel, the assembly of Israel, verse 24. This is speaking of the day in Exodus 19 and 20, primarily 19, where God called Moses, gave him the law, spoke to Moses and said he would make them a peculiar treasure unto himself. Verse 24, Deuteronomy 5, And you said, Behold, the Lord our God showed us His glory and His greatness. This was upon the mount that burned with fire. When the children of God looked up, a man could not touch the mount or he'd be killed, showing the holiness of God. Only Moses and Aaron, a type of Christ, Moses could approach unto God upon the mountain. And the mountain burned with fire and smoke, filled the air, and his voice was a loud, thundering voice when God spoke. The glory of God manifested unto them. And by the way, this is Christ, okay? Behold, the Lord our God showed us His glory and His greatness, and we have heard His voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God doth talk with man, and He liveth. That was Christ, the glory of God. There is no way to know God. There is no way to come unto God. There is no way to see God, to hear God, to understand God, to have anything to do with God. There is no way except through Christ. When Moses was saw the bush that burned upon the mount, Horeb, and he said, I must see this sight, when he went upon the top of the mountain and the angel spoke to him out of the bush that burned and was not consumed, loose thy shoes from off thy feet to the ground whereupon thou standest as holy ground, that was Christ. There is no way to see God except in Christ. The bush burned and it was not consumed. That's the eternal glory of God in Christ. In Exodus 33, Moses said, Show me thy glory. God plainly told him, No man... Mortal, sinful, fallen man can see my flesh, can see me and live. God said, I will put you. You notice how you get there? God said, I will put you in the cliff to the rock. And I will cover you. There's the hedge in Christ around His people with my hand. When I pass by, and ye shall see my hinder parts, the rearward of God, the glory of God. 
which is our reward to see the glory of the living God. Look at Ezekiel chapter 1. There you will see a fire in the first few chapters that burned, that enfolded itself. It did not burn like a natural fire from the inside out. It enfolded itself. It's an eternal fire. It burns and it burns and it burns and it cannot be extinguished. That's teaching us of Christ, the glory of God, who would come into this world. Look further in chapter 1. You can find that in verse 4. Chapter 1, again, verse 26. We see the glory of God. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne. This is the throne of glory. This is the great white throne we see in the book of Revelation. This is the throne the King of kings and Lord of lords sits upon, reigning and ruling over all things created. This is our God. This is Christ. And above the firm that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. Now watch this. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man. There is the Son of Man, the Son of God. He is above all things, yet He is upon all things. Because He is with us, And He will never leave us nor forsake us. He's in the hearts of His children. He's in the church. He loves us and will never leave us nor forsake us. He is the glory of God. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the glory of God. Round about and within it. From the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, fire, burning, consuming the glory of God. Tell me what drives the darkness from your soul, the light of God, the fire, the glory, the Son of God. Revelation, He teaches us of His eyes that burnt with fire, the judgment of God. His feet were as burnished brass where He had walked in the fire. This is the Son of God. He is the glory of God. He's telling the Jews, this Son of Man, the pierce of fire round about within it, From the appearance of his loins even upward, from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire and it had brightness round about. As the appearance of the bow, the rainbow that God gave for covenant we talked about last week, that's the bow of his glory he also has around him. The glory reaches out. There's no break in it. It's perfect unison. That is in the cloud. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in that day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This 
was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard the voice of one that spake. God talked with Ezekiel. God talks with us today in Christ. When we read this book influenced by the Word, by the Spirit of God, this is God speaking to us. This is Christ speaking to us, teaching us of the glory of the Son of God, teaching us of the purpose of God. Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. When they asked Him, was it legal to pay tribute, taxes? He took the fish, coin in its mouth. There was an image on the coin to give tribute unto whom tribute was due. The image was of Caesar. Our coins have different men upon them in their image. Christ is the image of God. It's like the image stamped upon the coin. When they looked at that coin, they saw Caesar. When they look, we look at the coins today, a quarter, whatever. It's got a, we, we see the person, the image of that person inscribed upon that coin. Christ is the express image of His person. I spoke a lot very recently on the text in Paul's letter to Timothy, for without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. It begins, God was manifest in the flesh. That is in Christ. When they saw Christ, they see the image of the living God. When we read and we see Christ by faith, we see in the man, Jesus Christ, the image of God the Father. John 1.18 says, No man has seen God at any time, yet the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. He writes it upon your heart. You are the, he is the image of the person, the being of God. And upholding all things by the word of His power. By the word of His power. Hebrews 11 begins, Through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. He is the living word of God. He is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. Everything He created, Christ, it's made by Christ, for all things were made by Him and made for Him, for His glory. And again, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and for Him. Everything created by Christ is upheld by Christ. 
by the word of His power, Christ holds the earth on the tilt that it has to be to maintain life and gravity. He spins it around and He maintains that, that life upon this earth may carry on until the appointed day of the earth's destruction. He sustains it going around the sun that we may have seasons and warmth and holds the moon in place that we may have signs and seasons that there will be food upon the earth and water and all things will be held in place by the gravity that God created. Not only does He sustain nature to feed the cattle of the hills and the beast of the earth and the fowl of the air, but He also gives us food. He sustains us. And let's go to perfect gifts now. He sustains the church of the living God. He sustains the church created, established by Christ By His power, all things are upheld. When He had Himself purged our sins, there was no way. We spoke about that last week, being a covenant God. There was no way that man could approach unto God. There was no way we could pay our sin debt and live. We could pay our sin debt had God purposed for us to do so by dying and raising the body up and being cast into the everlasting lake of fire with the wicked. But we would have been in hell. We would have been in misery. We would have been in judgment. Now that, that was not possible to be because that was not the purpose of God. But the point is being made that we could not approach unto God that Christ Himself, the only way to God, purged our sins as the Lamb of God when His body was nailed to the cross, when His body became sin for us, when He gave up His life and laid it down, for we could not kill Him and had not the power to, did not have the authority to, yet God suffered it to bring salvation to His children. And this and this alone, Christ And Christ alone redeemed us from our sins when He, Christ, Himself, Christ, purged our sins. When He finished the work God the Father gave Him to do. Understand this, Jewish brethren. Paul is saying, Just as He did in Acts chapter 2 as Peter did, ye, speaking to the Jews, by wicked hands have taken and crucified the Christ of God. 
But you did it ignorantly because they did not know. Many of them, their eyes were blinded. But the point being, when He by Himself had purged our sins, every one yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So many things come at us. Speaking of myself, I know it has to be with you too. Where Satan afflicts us and comes at us and tempts us and wants us to hate this whole world is filled with hate. The Jews hated Christ. What Paul's telling them, he purged us from our sins. He finished that word. He's ascended back into glory. Where and sat down on the right hand of the majesty. God the Father on high. His work here is finished. He sits on a throne because His work is finished. Six days God created the heaven and the earth. I don't care what some squirrel head scientist will tell you about millions and billions of years. God created it in six days. God spake to Moses and God told him that. Moses penned it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I believe it. Now Christ speaks to us by the Holy Spirit in the Holy Scripture and teaches us that it was six days. And that's what we believe. The work was finished. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. God rested on the seventh day. As I've heard this said so many times in my childhood, not because He was tired, but because the work of creation was finished. Christ sits on the right hand of the majesty on high. He's the glory of God. His expressed image of His person. And He sits on the throne because the work of eternal life, eternal salvation, eternal redemption, eternal sanctification is finished. It's complete. Had it not been, God would not have received Him back into the heavens. It's finished. He he sits there because the work the Father gave Him to do is finished regarding eternal life. Being made, Paul is telling the Jews who have been born of the Spirit of God. He's not reaching out to those that are not gods. He's not reaching out to those that are not His sheep. Remember those among Israel and the Pharisees? He said, John 10, you hear not my voice because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep know my name and I know them. The lost sheep of Israel that He loved so much. Being made so much better than the angels. He's telling them about Christ. He's telling them this man that is crucified. This was written about 62 A.D. This is before the destruction of Jerusalem. He's teaching the elect among the Jews being made so much better, talking of Christ, than the angels. 
Why is this here? Because the Jews... Oh, you want to see how... You think we're any different today? You've got a religion over here. You've got a religion over here. You've got a religion over there. They were the same way. The Pharisees worshipped angels and the Sadducees did not even believe in angels. That's why the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church to not warn them against the involuntary worshipping of angels. That's angels, angels in heaven. Creatures, creatures created of God. Speaking of Christ, they worshipped angels. Don't worship angels. Worship the Son of God, whom ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified. Being made so much better than the angels. We can go to the Old Testament and find where one angel slew 120,000 Assyrians. We can see where one angel was destroying Jerusalem by himself. We can read where Christ prayed when they came to take him in the garden. And he, Peter cut off the ear of Malchus. And, and the Lord said, if I prayed my father, he'd send me 72 legions of angels. Nonetheless, not my will, but his be done. And understand what 72 legions of angels could do. They worshiped angels. Christ, Christ being made so much better than the angels. This is not saying He was created when it says being made. It's not saying He was created. We've already verified He's the Creator of heaven and earth. There's nothing made that was not made by Him. And by the way, it was all good and upright. It's talking about the man Jesus Christ whom they hated without a cause and whom they crucified. Look here, Jews. Look here. You've been taught to worship angels. Look here. This man Jesus, the Son of Man, who shall come and appear in His glory on the last day. Being made so much better than the angels. He is so much better than the angels. This man is the eternal Word of God who was made flesh and dwelt among us. John 1.14, I believe. Where John said, And we beheld His glory, the only be glory is the glory of the only begotten of the Father. When did John see His glory? Matthew 17, Luke 30. When they were in their mountain in the high part asleep because they were tired and with Christ when He was transfigured in His glory and there was with Him in glory Moses and Elijah. You want to think about the resurrection of the dead? You want to think about eternal life? There they were dead 1,500 years, and yet they were there with Christ alive and talking, and in His glory. And John, as the Scripture says, they beheld the glory of Christ. 9.32 of Luke. Being made so much better. The man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, 
than the angels. Let the angels of God worship. Do you remember when we went through the revelation and we came to one point and we talked about on the last day when Christ is raised up, when He shall deliver up the kingdom far above all other things is our Lord. God hath exalted Him. They're the Son of Man, the Son of God. And there will be angels and there will be cherubs and there will be seraphims and there will be all of His people. Things we don't even know about yet. And Christ is the head of them all. Christ is more and better and more powerful and more wise and more glorious for He is the glory of God the Father and the express image of His person being made so much better than the angels. Why would they worship angels? Christ. Why do people worship the foolish things they do today? Christ is our God. As He, Jesus Christ, hath by inheritance. Okay? Hath by inheritance. He is the Son of God eternal. He is the Son of God, the Son of Man, the lineage of David, because the virgin bare Him. She is His mother in the flesh, and yet God, the Father, is His Father. The inheritance comes from your Father. He has a better inheritance. He has by inheritance. Being the very Son of God Himself, obtain a more excellent name than they, being the angels. Jews named angels. We see in Scripture Michael and Gabriel, and I believe both of those are Christ. The archangel is certainly Christ because it's the last trump the dead shall rise. The last gospel trump. What is that? When Christ appears and calls forth, the dead shall arise from the grave. That's the last gospel trumpet. And Christ is the archangel. God said, Mine angel shall go before thee. That's Christ, the name, the proper name. Genesis 48, Jacob. May the angel that redeemed me bless the lads, speaking of Manasseh and Ephraim, capital A. Name, proper name, Christ. A picture of Christ. Who has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, the created angels, because Christ is not created. He's the Creator. For unto which of the angels said He at any time, Thou art My Son, this day have I begotten Thee. Second Psalm. We find penned in Prophecy. Speaking of the day of Christ, it begins why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth set themselves together, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's the day of Christ. That's the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders 
crucifying the Lord Christ. But I'm going to go down to verse 7 to make a point of what we're saying. I will declare the decree. This is God. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my Son. This day have I begotten thee. That is not talking about the day we read of in Luke chapter 1 where the shepherds were gathered together and the glory of God was upon them. And they was announced to them the Christ child was born in the world in the city of Jerusalem. That's when He entered the world. Not when He was made or created because He's eternal. That's when He was made flesh. And when the revelation was made to us that Christ was bringing salvation to His children. The day spoken of in the second psalm, Thou art My Son, this day have I begotten Thee, is the day the Lord Jesus Christ came forth from the tomb. The angels there said, Why seek ye the living among the dead? For unto which of the angels there were none, said he at any time, Thou art my son. We're sons of God through Christ. But Christ is the only begotten Son of God. He raised up from the dead. Yes, God's raised up people before. We see Elijah doing it. We see Elisha doing it. But Christ is the only one that by the power, His own power, raised Himself up from the grave. I have the power to lay my life down. I have the power to raise it up again. He's the only begotten Son of God. And when He came forth from that tomb in life, He gave us life. He brought us with Him. This day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to Him a Father. And He shall be to me a son. We talked about that last week as David desired to build a house for God. God told him, you will not build a house. Your son shall build a house. And He made this statement to David. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. That's 2 Samuel chapter 7 when God promised David that his seed would always be upon the throne. And Luke, coming back to it, where Christ was born, would be born in the world and sit upon the throne of David. He said this to Christ. It was speaking about Christ. It was said to David that his son, he'd be to him a father and he should be to me a son. And while Solomon was a type of Christ, the Scripture, the Word of God, was speaking of the anti-type, which is Jesus Christ Himself. He never said this about an angel. He never said it to an angel. This is what Paul was teaching these Jewish brethren of the lost sheep of the house of Israel that Christ brought into the kingdom of God, sinners repenting, turning from the law to the excellency of the New Testament worship and the angels in heaven 
rejoice. And again, when He bringeth in the first begotten from death into the world, He saith, and let all the angels of God worship Him. Everything created, angels, seraphims, cherubs, God's people, everything that God has preserved and kept by His power will worship Christ. Let me try to get some of this. And of the angels, He saith, now watch this, we'll come back to this next week, who maketh His angels spirits and His ministers a flame of fire. Now this is speaking of the days of creation. This is speaking of angels. Angels are spiritual beings. They're not like man. They're more powerful than man. You read the 104th Psalm. He talks about God creation, layeth the beams of His chambers and the waters, who maketh the clouds His chariot, and walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh His angels spirits, His ministers a flaming fire, who laid the foundation of the earth that it should not be removed forever. With that little bit of that psalm, understand. And of the angels, He's talking to the Jews, the Hebrews. This letter is written to the Hebrews. Who had worshipped angels. God made His angels spirits. They are spiritual beings made self-existent when they were created by the God of glory. Far greater than us, yes. But still created of God, the angels that sinned against God are kept in the pit of darkness into the day of judgment, the elect angels that God has spared are His ministering service. There are angels around you now that we don't see. The angel of the Lord encampeth round the camp of the saints. The, the angels are around you. We can see Gideon. And we can see the chariots and horses of angels. We can see the angels of flaming fire of Elijah was carried up into the heavens. And that's the glory of God upon them. He maketh His angels and His ministers a flame of fire. I've tried. I've, I've, I've heard this many times and I've even tried to use it myself until I read the context of the 104th Psalm where we try to make preachers today a flame of fire. And some of us get pretty fiery. But this text is speaking of the angels because he speaks about it to the Jews who worshipped angels. And then he says, but unto the Son, that's Christ. He says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. And we'll take that next week, Lord willing.